Welcome to Two Mates Chatting. I'm here with a good friend for many years. How are you going, Maddie? Yeah, good thanks, Marty. And you? Yeah, you're doing well. When was the last time we saw each other? Uh, when I came up to Avoca uh, a little while back uh, for a long weekend and a big, well, a break. I think it was around the Easter break. Yeah, that's right. And you went to Kendigo Swimming. No, that's right, because I drove all the way there, and when I got there, you said, let's go for a swim, and I said, no, because I'll drown, but you made me go for a swim, and it was one of the nicest things I've ever done. Righto, Matty, the important stuff, the NRL. How's your manly team going after beating me at Parramatta last week? Well, actually, they're going pretty well indeed, but that's because we've got Tom Trebojevic, if I could get that big mouthful out, and... uh, one of the commentators on the weekend said, you know, he's a superman and it's often a highly overused phrase or word, but if you've seen what he's done to our team, as in transformed our team, I think he actually is, and Des Hasler said the other day, his words, not mine, that he thinks that Tom, Turbo Tom, Tommy Turbo, hasn't even seen the best of his footballing ability yet. In other words, he's got a lot more room to grow and go. And if that's the case, he'll be one of the greatest players to ever live if he stays on the field and doesn't get injured because we had lost four games in a row. I was about to put 100 bucks on Manly winning the wooden spoon because I thought it's going to be our worst year ever. So instead of turning it into a complete nightmare, I thought, well... Might as well make a little bit of money on the side. He came back in week five. I knew we'd win a couple of games with him, but we've won every game except the one against the Panthers and we almost won that and didn't play well that day. I can't believe that one player can have that much influence over a team with one exception. I've played with maybe four or five great soccer players, not rugby league players, but soccer players over the years And I know when I play with a great player, say you're Tommy Turbo and I'm playing the team and I'm only an average player, you do grow an arm and a leg, a bit like Queensland do in the state of origin. And it's not only that he's that good, I think he causes that or does that to everybody. Otherwise, there's no way we could be in sixth place and be winning games by, you know, 40, 50 points. That's... Not all him, but that's his effect, and I think that's so powerful. I don't know any other player that could probably do that at the moment. Maybe some in the past, like Jonathan Thurston, uh, you know, a great player in, in that regard, or a Cameron Smith, but there's only a handful of players that can actually do that. Well, I went to that game, the Warriors game against Manly, and that was before Tommy came back in. And that really tall winger had a blinder. And they won on a um, field goal at the end. And I was texting you from the Central Coast and you were at Bathurst. So you thought you'd lost it until the last three seconds of the match. Yes, Jason Saab did really well. That's what it is. That's and it, yeah. Cherry Evans earned his $1.2 million because that's the only thing he's done in the first five rounds. People are still saying, well, they were saying up until then, you know, he's the best halfback and in the incumbent Australian halfback. But to be fair to the Chess. Uh, he was playing dreadfully, as was the rest of the team. But here's the difference. Tom Trevojevic comes back into the team and starts playing well, and everyone looks good, including DCE. But when Tom's not there, a player like DCE, who's on the biggest money of, I think, anyone in the NRL, so it's not just Manly, 
he can't lift other players and make them play like that. So you're not going to be in the wooden spoon, but do you reckon Parramatta will get up this year? Well, They're actually, not going to be Penrith, I don't think. Well, I really thought that certainly uh, up until losing against us, because I, I don't think we can win it in a month of Sundays, but I've been surprised. I would have thought it was kind of like the latter was. I would have thought that uh, definitely the Panthers are favourites, then p- possibly the Storm and then Parramatta. But, and I think out of those three, provided, you know, Para the Eels can recover after this one loss, which I'm pretty sure they can. Uh, they're the only three teams, I think, at the moment that can actually win it. I think the Roosters have got too many injuries. Um, Manly on the day, we're good, but I don't think we're going to anything like a grand final, maybe not even a top four. We need, I wonder if Kevin's there, because Kevin would talk about Manly for us. No, I mean, for the Storm, wouldn't he? Yeah. Well, I, well, well I, I think the best thing about uh, the Storm is they just keep being so well drilled. They came in the other day with four key players out in their spine mm. and they still work like clockwork and that's the difference between them and most other clubs. They're just well, well drilled, sorry, and they do the basics really well and you've got to put that down to Bellamy and the culture of that club. So as they say, it doesn't matter who comes in there, they just do their job and they're up for it every game. Like... A lot of people don't like animated coaches. A lot of people like the Wayne Bennett type that just sits there and pretends nothing's happening. I hate that, personally. I actually like the Craig Bellamy. He's spitting chips and, you know, firing, you know, ice and... Expletives, no swearing. Yeah, and brimstone uh, (laughs) when his team drops the ball when they're leading by 20 because that's how I think. You've got to be that passionate about your team, either as a coach or as a player. And it's a little bit old school, but I think that's why... The Storm are also pretty good, apart from putting their systems in place and buying good players and doing a lot of things right. They're up for it every week. Look at West Tigers. Who's going to turn up this week? Good team. Who are they playing? A bad team. You don't know, but yeah. they're very inconsistent. All right, then. Bluebird, right? that's six minutes on NRL. Really? Yeah. Oh, we, we haven't even scratched the surface scratched yet. The surface. What about the head-eye tackles? <laughs> haven't oh. even got into that yet. Oh, well, go on. 60 seconds short. Okay, well, I'll ask you first. What do you think of the big crackdown with the head-eye tackles? Oh, probably we're in a different era now, and I think we have to. I think um, watching, um, and isn't NRL 360 great? Every yes. every night, like I go to bed if I'm late, like I'll go to bed at 11.30, 12 to watch the recorded thing before because I don't want to miss a night. Anyway, tonight they were, you know, rightly saying the players know what it is. They've just got to keep their arms down. It'll open the game up because basically um, if you've got two defenders coming, two people coming at you, you'll stick your arm out like I did in the under-14s and got sent off and coat hang at a guy, all right? But it, they'll have to bring their hands in and then players will be going through the gaps. So the game's, the game's going to go faster. And I saw something on the weekend when they did um, the slow-mo replays of the head-high tackles. And what I noticed is quite a few times, players, you know, they have a, an opponent opposite them and they see where they're going to, you know, tackle them or hit them. But they just go in flat chat and close their eyes. Like, they don't actually look right up until the point of impact. So, of course, if that player drops down or goes offline or changes direction or you slip over a bit, you know, it's very easy to hit someone in the head. So they're not even looking. They're just seeing a target and going in flat out. And when you've got two or three players in a tackle, it's really easy for that to go wrong. Now, tell me, you're, you're a couple of years older than me. In the 70s, 
Did you see Bobby Fulton play? Yes, I did. He walked past me one day. That's all, was he? Well, the thing that amazed me about him, I saw him in the 1973 grand final and he was just electric. You went to that one? Yeah. That was the one with the huge brawl. Yeah, and that was the one where he scored the two tries and won the game. Mm. And going back to, well, he's a really good kind of comparison. I know I was a Manly fan back then and we had Bobby Fulton, but every time Bobby Fulton played and it wasn't out of ego, as a fan, you just thought, well, we can win this game. It's a bit like, you know, if Jonathan, Jonathan Thurston plays for the Cowboys, you'd be going, well, we're, we're a pretty good chance to win today or Cameron Smith's playing for the Storm. Yeah, we're probably going to win today and you do. And when he got those balls in the grand final and he just cut them to pieces with electric speed because I think he could run as fast on a on an angle, on a curve than, than most people can do in a straight line. You just knew he was going to score and you weren't surprised at all. But, you know, you're thrilled that, you know, he did score and, and he won the game. But none of that was a surprise at all. Yeah. I, um, and he has the same – just one last thing on that one. He has the same effect really as Tom Trebojevic, which I can't seem to say today. I've got the Trebojevic <laughs> bug. It's just too much of a mouthful. So I'll just say Tommy Turbo. But when, but when Bob Fulton plays in your team, whether that's for Manly or Australia, you know, everyone can grow a bit of an extra arm and a leg because he's that good. He lifts those players around him. He had the same effect. Like with him in your team, you're going to win most games before you even run on. And it's not arrogance. It's not – well, it could be confidence. But he had so many skills and so much ability and demanded other players to come up to that standard, not to – lower a standard but to match him i um i didn't realize um this actually i always thought when when i saw that at the beginning of the game i got back from voca and i just got over five minutes to spare turn until you on there was a moment of silence that i thought probably thought and i thought oh that's it we lost the game that's a starter first thing i thought then the second thing i thought because i just sent out a tweet a bit later on and i said i always thought he'd be immortal i never really thought of and i know it's a pun on immortal but I never really thought of Bobby Fulton not being around. Well, when when I saw the one-minute silence or, you know, the big sign-up there, I thought exactly the opposite because often when someone departs and people take it quite seriously... Like Tommy. Yeah, like like West did, uh, teams and clubs often lose games. So I thought when they did that, it would have worked the other way. But to just backtrack for a moment to answer your earlier question clearly... I was at Balmain one day just watching the reserve grade. He obviously got dropped off by a car. They didn't come in the team bus or anything in those days. And he walked past all the spectators going over to the chain sheds and he just had his little, you know, uh, kit bag with his footy boots and his gear in it. And he was about, you know, maybe a couple of metres away from me. And I was really shocked. Well, first was, you know, superstars like there's Bobby Fulton. I should have run over and got an autograph, but I would have been too embarrassed. And I was actually, I don't know whether I was bigger than him, but I was surprised at how small he was close up because when you see them on the field, and he was muscly and he was, you know, nuggety and he was tough. So on the field, like he could hold his own and he actually looks bigger on the field in his shorts and shirt ready to go than he did in real life. Like had I not known he was Bobby Fulton if he had a mask over his face, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. And I I was nearly as big as him and it's like, wow. But I, 
I couldn't. Yeah, I, I couldn't have <laughs> that's done. That's where it stops. Yeah, that's where it stops. <laughs> I couldn't have done one thing that he did, let alone catch him, let alone tackle like that, let alone get you know bashed up by you know front rowers and get up laughing kind of thing. No, that just would have finished me off. So he wasn't big in stature, uh, physically, but actually he was. He had presence. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Um, well, that's twelve minutes now. And the last thing I say on <laughs> yeah, well, might be twelve minutes, but it's the bozo. The last thing I'll say on that, they said on NRL three sixty last night, um, you know, sorry for your loss to people that knew him well. Yeah, it is that, but it's really not that. It's sorry for everyone's loss. Yeah. That's the truth, because mm. everyone lost him. And even if you hate Manly, there wouldn't be a person, a bit like Jonathan Thurston, who plays for Queensland or Cameron Smith, you know. They're just, they are immortals. They've done enormous things for the game. You can dislike them, but you can't hate them. So it's everyone's loss. It's not just sorry for your loss. Yeah, good. Well said. Well said. I was just looking over there. One of our ex-students is there. Have a look. Go over and have a read on the on the camera. Oh, no. Well, just tell me. It'll be easier. That is me. All right. How yeah. are you going? <laughs> <laughs> right. Small world. Small world. There's a few others listening. A few have dropped off as well. Anyway. Okay, well, it's only football. Matthew, how are you? Nice to see you there. Not replying, but you yeah. wouldn't expect that. No, it's all right. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to something else. Every morning when I get up, and it's very late and I'm very tired, I check my phone. <laughs> and Because <Right. laughs> um, I go to bed at about midnight, half past 12. You go to well, bed about 10.30. But when I go there, religiously, all last year, and you've done it again this year, you're posting on Facebook. Yeah. A post. Tell yeah. us the background about that and what's involved. All right. Um, in the year of the pandemic, but I didn't know it was going to be the year of the pandemic 2020, I just decided to set myself a little hobby, a little task. I thought, I'm going to try and write one story a day for a year and post it on Facebook. But I had a couple of rules and I just made them up to give myself parameters to work by. So the first rule was write a story every day, no matter what it is, how long, how short, how good, how bad, how not. So that was rule number one. Rule number two was I could only write it the day before or on the same day. So I couldn't like sit here today and write five stories, which yep. would me, take me through the week. Uh, and then the third rule was when I put them on Facebook, not to read anyone's comments, whether they liked it or didn't like it, because I thought as soon as I read the first bit of bad press, I'll stop writing them and that'll ruin the whole thing. So when you did that, um, you also put the song to it. Yeah. So do you come up with – I'm interested in the creative process, so I want to go down that path. So right. do you – I saw you do the, the one tonight. We were watching the NRL 360. You yeah. were sitting on your notes on your iPhone <laughs> and you were doing your notes. So you write yeah. the story first and then have you got a song in mind when you do it or have you picked a song for tomorrow's post? Well, this is the easy part and the hard part. I write the story and sometimes as I'm writing the story because I've you know listened to music as you have your whole life, so I know a lot of songs but I'm not – like if you watch the Spicks and Specs TV show and they can remember this band person and that song, I can't remember any of that stuff. But what I can do is when I'm writing a story, sometimes I have a phrase in the story, like, you know, don't call us, we'll call you, and it'll tie into a song that I do know. So for about half of my stories when I'm matching the song, it just pops into my head from a song I've heard, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, which is really lucky. The other half, 
I have to research and find, and about half of those, so 25% mm. uh, of those, I'll start looking for a song about, maybe looking for a song about love or a heartbreak or something like that. So I'll start searching those songs, but then I'll find a song that I know and can put it straight in. But then the hardest one is that last sort of maybe 20, 25% of songs I haven't got a song for that story because I've just written a story about something that I've never even heard about before or seen before and I'm trying to find a song that matches the sentiment of it. The whole idea is to read the story and if you know the song, you don't even have to play the, play the song, you'd, you'd just know the chorus or you'd know the key words out mm. of it and it matches the feeling of the story. I try and get something in the song that matches the feeling which is the soundtrack for the story. Okay. And sometimes it embellishes enor enormously and other times it just complements it. But to finalise that last part, sometimes finding that song, I can write the story in five minutes, yeah. which is, you know, five, ten minutes, which is not too bad. But I've stayed up late at night for an hour trying to find a song that fits. And to show you how hard that is, I kept it going this year. I'm on, on about 510, maybe 515 stories in a row and I haven't repeated one song yet. And I know most of them. Jeez, that's amazing. Now, I'm one of the people who won't listen to the songs and I don't see the connections, but how do you write? Because you, you don't check your Facebook, you just do it. And you disappear and you. Yep. And I'll send you links that, that people have sent and you, I haven't got time to look at it and I understand that because um, you work from home and you go from 7 in the morning till 4 in the... Uh, four well, in the sometimes it's 7 at night. It's some 12-hour days sometimes. 12-hour days in that office over there. Yep. Um, how do you write when you don't have an audience? Because the little bit of writing I've done, I like to think I've got an audience. Like you don't even know if you've got an audience of one or an audience of 500. Does it worry you or that doesn't motivate you, the audience, is for you well, personally? Well, it's all right. It's all right. I can answer it in two ways. It's a good question. <laughs> Should have been an interviewer. <laughs> That's great. No, well, of course I'd like to have an audience and I'd like people to like my stories. But that's when I started writing them with the rules that I said earlier. It's like, well, if people don't like them, am I just going to stop because, you know, like on Facebook, you don't have a thousand likes. And I thought, no, that's just stupid. I'm just going to write them because I want to write them. And if I end up with a thousand likes, well, you know, whoopee-doo, that's fantastic. But if I end up with one like or no likes or, you know, get this rubbish off the airwaves, um, well, that's okay too because I need to do it for me. I just do it out of some, it's my voice to the world. And this mightn't make any sense at all, but I was thinking this the other day. My grandchildren live, they're quite young, but they live in Canberra. And one day they'll go, yeah, I wonder what my grandfather was really like, that old, you know, grumpy bastard that followed Manly all those years, no, 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 no. And all they'd have to do, if they looked up my Facebook posts for a year and a half, they'd know everything about me and how I think and how I see the world, which is my own view. It's just unique. It's a little bit different. And... The podcast now you can. This is one of the reasons why I've got you here. Is you could give it to you got one or two grandkids now. Two, two, yeah. Okay, that's Rachel's. Yeah. And what are their yeah. names? Charlie and Leo. How old are they now? Uh, six and three. Wow. And how they're shooting up pretty quick. They'll be teenagers before we know. Are they? Football? Or tweenagers, isn't it? Twenties first. Are they are football players yet? 
No, I think Leo can be. He's got quite good eye-hand coordination. He's a really solid kid and he's really tough, doesn't cry about anything. Charlie, no, he's not. <laughs> he he just won't be a sportsman. <laughs> All right. I mean, he, might, he might be playing those drums over there, won't you? Yeah, he'll be doing something probably arty-farty. I don't really know. But, no, he's not a, he's not a physical kid, but Leo is. <laughs> All right, then. Right, so tell me next? about podcasts. What what do you know about the podcast world? Because you've been doing this for a while and you've got some experience. Well, I struggle because I want an audience. Sure. And I and because it, it motivates me to have an audience. But probably more than anything else, I've been listening to podcasts. I just put up on my iPad just then. Right. You don't have time for podcasts. But honestly, the best podcast I'm reading at the moment is called The Hidden Brain. And what's that about? It's a, it's a psychologist and what he talks about is he talks about little things in society that's happening and what I really like about it is he sort of picks up little quirks about how we think. And okay. He's really, really clever. I'm just trying to look something up just now. So you haven't heard of it. Hidden brain, there it is there. And what it, his name is Sh- Sh- Shankar Vedata, I think his name is. And the one I'm listening to at the moment is called Loss and Renewal. And he's talking. He's talking about a, a, a lady who was a, a a violinist, and she lost access to movement of her left hand. And I don't know what what hand on a violin that is. I have no idea at all. Well, it's where, it's where you hold it, doesn't it? Yeah, probably depends. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it might be left she started. So she lost control of that. Then in the end, she reinvented herself. By a long story, and she became a an advisor to Barack Obama. And so it's a fantastic story about. She had the mathematical and the musical brain to use um, the violin and she transferred that skill she learned to end up in a high level <laughs> job doing that. And now she runs her own her own her own podcast, which is really good as well. So that's what I'm that I'm interested in. There's another one called I really like called High Performance Podcast. Right. And um and it and it talks about people being high performers. There it is. He's playing us on the background. Right. Okay. <laughs> He's trying off. to share with us. I have to learn how to turn him off. We're listening to him. Oh, this is interesting, actually. You hear what they're doing there? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how to turn it off. <laughs> right. Right, well, we've got a permanent podcast to share. So anyway, that's the podcast I'm listening to at the moment. And the one that the other one that I'm really interested in is all the Iron Man triathlon ones. So I'm going back to all those ones in the past that I've been interested in. Well, that's good. So is that why you're backtracking that to see the history of it, or Um, look, the, the the as you know from the barrel days. The Barrel Days was all about triathlons. Yeah. And um, in 1989, there was the Iron War Triathlon between Mark Allen and Dave Scott. And um, and you, you are you familiar with that story? Oh, I don't think so. It might come back to me, but obviously, basically, it's what very happened vague. was in 1978 they had the first Ironman, which was the um, it was a it was a swim in Hawaii and one of the islands, and it was actually a a ride around the island that happened to be 180 kilometres. Wow! And then it was a marathon run. Then they moved it to Kona a few years later, and Dave Scott won six of them in a row. Not in a row, sorry, he won six of them. It was he had other people who were my heroes in the day was Scott Molino, Molina and um, and um, Mark Alland and him and Scott Tinley. They were the four. They were the big four. Right. And what I really liked about them was is that uh, Mark Allen was on the podium or four, fifth, six for six years in a row. 
Then in 1989, he raced against Dave Scott and he got in the water behind him and swam behind him and he just touched his toes all the time (laughs) for the 3.8 kilometres. Got off the bike and he rode just behind him the whole way. Then he got into the marathon and he got into 24 miles of the marathon right next to him and they were running. If you look at the coverage on World World Sports, they occasionally bump each other with the elbows. So they were together for eight hours side by side and Mark Allen pulled away and finally won that race. And then he went on to win the next six in a row. Wow. So that's called that's why it's called the Iron War. And so what's happening now in sport, there's a whole lot of things in relation to different high-performance athletes. Like I'm finding out a lot of stuff about diet. Hmm. You, you trying to watch your weight? Yeah, it doesn't really change much. But I, I'm probably not doing enough exercise to cut it down. But as you get older, it's much harder to lose weight because your metabolism drops no matter what you do. So when you were playing um, football and you played, you went to World Masters Games in the over 35s, wasn't it? Or over oh, no. How about the over 95s? It's no, closer. No, it was over 50s, wasn't it? It was over 50s, yeah. Over 50s. When you were starting out playing playing football, I say soccer, what was, what was the diet you had to do to perform well? Was it high-carbohydrate diet or was it fats? Or Yeah, look, I, I didn't really focus that much on a, a specific diet. But, of course, like when you're training a lot and you're playing a lot of games, you eat more and you do fire up on the carbs. But I'd just stay the same weight no matter what. But I'd train really hard. My best training ever was in barrel. I used to do three days when I was going well with the jogging, three days of uh, 10-kilometre runs. And at that stage, I remember when I was 42, I could play reserve grade and then first grade back-to-back. So that's three hours of football. That's not counting the breaks. So you had about another hour for, you know, the breaks in between those. Three hours and I'd only get tired in the last 15 minutes of the first grade game. That was on the back of three 10K runs per week. And that is what the latest podcasts I'm listening to are saying. They're saying oh, now God. they're saying now that the high-level athletes that in, in our day, in mm. the 80s and the 90s when we were still doing it, they went on the high-carbohydrate diets. And what was happening was is that was burning glycogen. It was pushing them harder than they need to be. And that's why people, certain athletes, I won't mention them, end up with heart conditions. Right. Okay. But now they're going full circle and they're saying, I'm not a a nutritionist, but basically they're suggesting that you need to cut back on the carbohydrates because basically what that's doing is it's wrecking your gut, Mm -hmm. it's putting the weight on, and what it's doing is it's not teaching your body to burn fat. So elite athletes who finish their sport, what they do is their body is so used to having carbohydrates in the food, they pull the weight on, and they do. I can think of dozens of ex-athletes. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's pretty standard. So they're talking about now in terms of the diet, and I try and keep my weight to about 80 kilos, but I'm, getting, I'm hovering at around 78 now, and you and I are often the same. We're a bit apart at the moment, but we're often the same. And what I noticed was is, is that by actually eating in early in the day and at lunchtime and trying to eat less at night, um, I'm a sugar fiend. So you know I haven't had a, haven't had a beer for, since um, 2015, I think. But on well, Friday night, well. I haven't <laughs> had a beer since New Year's Day this year, but I'm only about five years behind you. <laughs> it's a long time, five or six years not yeah, drinking. That's good. Yeah, and do that, you feel better for it? Oh, definitely, definitely. What I've found is, is um, you obviously sleep better. But what I've found is 
back to the Hidden Brain podcast, is my brain's so much better. Oh, wow. I focus so much more. Might not be getting my, uh, my thoughts out now because I'm busy watching these lines going up and down. The computer's just stopped. I'll make sure the podcast is happening, but that's yeah. all right. Now, just on the note of uh, nutrition and, you know, your metabolism slowing down and what happens as you get older, excuse me, I've got an itchy eye, but Phil Mickelson, who won, you know, the uh, tournament in America, the oldest guy to win a PGA tournament at 50, they interviewed him yesterday and the day before about his big win and everyone was really happy for him and cheering for him and giving him a rock star kind of reception and they asked what were the secrets again you know what are the secrets to you winning and he said well uh he has to he's had to work a bit harder for a start as he's gotten a bit older because you get a bit slower and you're not quite as uh, sharp as you were he said he's worked harder he's got improved focus Mm. And he's got a better diet. Yep. And the first and opening question to him was, what have you had to give up to get here? And his answer was food. Yep, that's right. And so he says the real challenge for him is he was prepared to work harder. He was obviously sharpening his mind and his focus and his approach in doing that. But he said he really, well, he didn't say these words. These are my words. But basically he struggled with giving up eating so much food but I mean he looks quite slim and fit and healthy but he's quite a big man and if you look at golfers you know once they get past about 25 year years old with you know some exceptions they they tend to put on weight pretty quickly they still stay active all their lives but it's not like they're burning off huge amounts of calories so he's probably a testimony to what you're saying that through good nutrition as one component but a very major component you know you can even win a major at 50 which is quite amazing he set a world record on that he's the oldest guy to ever win a major the previous guy was in about 1948 or something and i think he was 48 might have been earlier so i told you about i um, mean in i think it was in the high performance podcast or the purple patch podcast um about a, a change in diets and you weren't too happy about it from it, from because your degree was in sports science many years ago, but the technology, the technology, the understanding has changed so much. But what this person is suggesting, I've forgotten his name, is essentially eliminate all carbohydrates and have a low-fat diet. But he also said you have to exercise. Okay, this was another podcast. Sorry, you actually have to exercise at the Maffetone heart rate, and the Maffetone heart rate is not two twenty minus your age. And then you do the percentage differences. Yep, yep. It's uh, 180 minus your age, and that is the rate you meant to exercise. So in my case, when I go for my six-kilometer runs, I have to run at a, a, a heartbeat of um, 120 beats per minute. I can add five beats per, per for being an athlete for the last 20 years or 30 or 40 years or whatever it is, but not an elite ones. So I've got a level of fitness. And then what I did was, is I applied it also to um, one of the, the standard heart rate ones where you actually apply a different formula. It came about the same. But I don't know what your heart rate's like, but if I have to run six kilometres and my heart rate is low as 120 to 130, I'm doing 130 to cheat, my 6K time has gone out from to 55, 54 minutes instead of you know, 42 it's a big, big change, isn't but they, it? But they, but they reckon the theory matters this, is just that if I do it for a number of months, eventually 
my heart rate will stay the same at 130 and I will get faster. So I should be able to run the, the 6Ks in hopefully 49 minutes and then 48 minutes for the same heart rate. And that's meant to be better for my health and that is meant to be better for weight loss because it's well, all fat burning. Okay, well, that kind of makes good sense. Didn't earlier. No, but it's, you know, it's sinking in a little bit now. <laughs> but I don't know. You'd, yeah. you'd have to try it and see. I like the idea of going slower to get somewhere instead of knocking yourself out. Because I've always been I've always been a good trainer and I love training. Like, I see these professional athletes on TV and they, you know, they go, oh, he's so gifted, he's so talented, but he's a bad trainer. It's like, well, why are you even playing sport? Like, it's not hard to be good at training. It is hard to be, you know, a highly skillful, you know, awesome player. Mm. But it's not hard to train hard. And if you can't train hard and that's all you do for a living, there's something wrong with you. I think my biggest problem is like when I train, I just go as hard as I can with everything. But that's probably doesn't work when you get past about probably about 50. Every I've noticed every 10 years um, my body changes like a lot as in, you know, 30 changes to 40 to 50 to 60 and, you know, pretty soon I'll be 70 and you just can't do the same things but you have the same mentality. Mm. So when you're young and you could just, you know, thrash your body and go as hard as possible, that's great, but it doesn't work when you're older and you can't recover. I'm just still shocked by <laughs> professional athletes that find it hard to get up for a game like and have that kind of passion. They're like, it's pathetic and especially when you've got guys like playing rugby league that are supposed to be big and tough and, you know, alpha males and macho, like, come on. That's why I admire players that have got a bit of ticker, you know. Go back to some of the smaller players in the world. Desi Hasler, Jonathan Thurston. You know, Hart's as big as Farlap and can go all day. I love those players. All right. Final, final one from me because you asked me about the podcast. I just remember yes. I was looking up just here. Right. I've got here from the High Performance Podcast, I think it was, or Purple Patch Podcast, one or the other, mm -hmm. um, three things about high performance, whether it's writing your stories or when you played football or when we were teaching together. Right. What, are, what would you say would be the three things to be, to be the best at what you do and whatever you're doing at that time? At the moment, you're working from home and the rest of it, but you know, what would be three things? Would you want me to go first and then you can have yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll need about an hour to think up something. No, all right, all right. No, you go first. It's all good. Right. The, the, the first one is I draw it as a triangle, okay? Yeah, it's just okay. A triangle. And on the top cool. of the triangle, and if you imagine that, it, it's like do you remember the geography. Do you remember the ternary graph? Do you remember that from when we did geography? No, I'd have to go back go a bit, back but that's all right. All right, anyway. Ternary graph has zero to 100 on each side of it. Right. And what happens is is that you have three three factors. Yes, and so you, and you, okay. And you, there's a percentage for each one that adds yep. up to 100, basically. Okay. All right. The three things that I was that I was really impressed with, this is the High Performance Podcast or the Purple Patch Podcast, one or the other, mm -hmm. was the first one was performance in context, which I think is really interesting because you, there's, a, there's a big discussion in the NRL at the moment that they shouldn't be doing high contact in, in the training. Right. And so training should be for training and not having the high contact like they do in the NFL now. They don't have the high contact in the right. NFL anymore. Save it's all it training. for the game. But you also then your performance. That, so, when you, so when you're in practice or training, and I found that when we were running, I would be running in the good days at five minutes a kilometre, but I'd end up racing four minutes a kilometre. Okay. Okay, so your performance is related to the context. The other thing that you'll agree with, I think, 100%, sorry, putting words in your mouth, 
back to Dan Millman and the way of the Pistol Warrior. Remember yeah. that book? Yes, yeah, it was a good book. That was a good book. I always thought he was a real person he was talking to. Yeah. Was he subconscious? Yeah. I'm yeah, so, well, I'm, I'm it was very, to, I'm very insightful. To, I'm, I'm late to the party. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're there. Yeah, I'm there, yeah. I can't believe I did that. Um, anyway, it's Embrace the Journey. And I think more than anything else, that's the most important. That's good. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Yeah. And then the third thing for high performance in whatever you do is nail the basics. Yeah, I, I think that's a good one too. I like that very much. So they're the three. So if I applied that to your football career, reversing it, nail the basics. You were a winger and a centre, weren't you? No. Centre forward? No, I was an inside right. Inside no one right. ever played that job, but I oh, like that role much, but... In the end, I ended up being a really good midfielder, like box-to-box, because I could run all day. I wasn't the best player, but a bit like Craig Johnson that played for Liverpool, and I'm making no comparison. (laughs) But in a way, it was. I could run and play all day, and that's how he got picked, and that's how he made his name. Mm. And he was laughed at when when he started playing, but no one was laughing in the end, and he'd be one of the first people you'd pick in a team, because you go, that guy's got a motor, and he can go for 90 minutes, and he won't stop. Well, I've got to get you on a podcast. There was a Craig Johnson podcast and they interviewed him and I've heard him several yeah, times. Oh, yeah, I've and heard him. He's he li- great. And he lives in Avalon in Sydney. Oh, right. Now, he, lives in, he, he, lived, he lives in Sydney now. He, used, yeah. he, he, was, he did play in Newcastle. He came from Newcastle in Australia Yeah, he's first. a Newcastle boy. Yep. And, and he lives in Avalon and he coaches the under-8s or something like that. It was yeah. a great podcast. And he was the player, wasn't he, who was known as the kangaroo in the car park because he used to clean the cars. Yes, Skippy or whatever. Skippy or whatever Skippy it was. Skippy joke, something y- yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. He w- he got on a plane as a 15-year-old, went over there, mm. got an interview. Who were those famous managers? There's two of them. Anyway, he went over with the managers and then he spent two years in the car park and a new manager came over for Liverpool. Or it wasn't Liverpool at the time, another club. And they basically said, let's get Skippy in. He can play. And they brought him on in that side of his career. Yeah, well, right place, right time. And he backed himself and he worked at it. And that's how he got there. So there's and a lot to be said for that. And he did the final two things. He he had set up in the car park after cleaning all the players' cars. Yeah. He was kicking goals there yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like that. And he talked about embracing the journey. He was there a, whole, a heap of times. Yeah, and I think you've got to be, if you're talking about succeeding at an elite level, you just got to be like that. You've got to be very mechanical and single-minded and determined and pretty much ruthless about it. So what would you add to that? To what? To those three things. Is there anything you'd add? You liked that? So one was the break, um, well, performance is it for in you? context. Well, no, they're all good. I agree with them all, but they wouldn't be necessarily my three things. What, what jumps into mind for you then? Well... They're all good and I don't disagree with any of them. I think yeah. they're pretty spot on. But if I had to pick three things that... Just one. Whatever. Whatever you feel like. Three, one, six. Okay. <laughs> but the the criteria again, just... We've to, had be, a to, be, to, to be able to perform to the best of your ability, high performance. Okay. Well, here's the first and last starting point for me personally or for me as a coach with players... Or if you're running a club, find someone with ticker, find someone with heart, find someone that just doesn't spit the dummy and when it's all going wrong, can still get up and have a go. And even if it's crap, even if it's terrible, they just don't quit. So that's it for me. If you don't have that, then I'm not really that big a fan. I've played with a a couple of really good soccer players that could turn a game, that can turn a game in like 
60 seconds. They can just go like, I'm going to score now, and they do. And then after that, you don't see them for 45 minutes because they've got no ticket, they've got no heart. They just play when they feel like it or when it suits them or when they see an opportunity. Those players that I played with, they could have played for Australia. They could have played for any team in the world, you know, had they been able to do that over 90 minutes or the entire length of the game. Mm. So I've played with plenty of players better than me, but I don't admire – I admire their skill and talent. It's just, you know, it's mind-boggling that they can just go, right, for the next five minutes I'm going to turn it on and I change this game and I win this game. I couldn't do that, but – they don't have tickers, so I'll just go down the line. You've got to have heart in things, and if you want to equate it to passion, um, okay, that too, but have ticker, particularly when things aren't going well, not when everything's going great and you're in there, you know, doing your best. You just do your best all the time. So Every time. Two, two questions related to that. You're focusing on the individual, which is important, how do you how do you blend together a whole pile of um, alpha A personalities and they're all got ticker and they're all going gun ho? What else? What's the well, next thing? Well, you that's need? a really good question, but I don't think you do. From what I've seen in teams, um, you know, at all different levels, you've got a whole mixture of people, and you know, you get eleven players in a soccer team or thirteen in a rugby league team. They don't all have ticket. Just go and look at go and look at your local team. Like look at Manly this year when we lost our first four games. We had about two players trying every week, and you could guess one of them without even following the team. And sometimes it was only one. So you don't get thirteen players with ticket. But if you did, you would win the league without without much uh, consternation. All right then. Okay. So I, I'm not sure 100 percent agree. So I reckon if you had a hundred. 10 people on ticker is it, and, and going hard. Like in my in my mind, I'm imagining a front row forward going hard up the middle all the time. Who's going to be making the decision-making in the game playing? Yeah, well, that's your halfback or your 5'8", but that doesn't... Do they got to have ticker? What else do they need besides ticker? No, you, everyone needs ticker. Everyone needs it. You, yeah. All uh, right, so ticker's yeah. number one. Okay, right. Okay, I understand that. That's just just that's just for me. Like if I yeah. look if I look at all the great players in all sports over the years that I really love for whatever reason, and whether it's like um, Des Hasler for Manly or Jonathan Thurston um, or Leighton Hewitt or any of those players, they weren't always the world's best player. They just had heart and tick. A Paul Kelly that used to play for the Sydney Swans. You just know that guy's going to be there. All day, every day, doing the best he can and quite a good footballer at that too. Like out of 10, there are like a nine, eight or a nine right. almost every game. But but they're pretty rare. All right, I'm, going I'm not saying they're, they're the run of the mill, but if you could find a team of those players, you'd never be beaten. We're going back to the 80s. We're going to argue here. I'm, uh, Maybe not. <laughs> I might agree with you. Might agree. What I'm struggling with is, is that if I had ticker – which you, you could argue I have ticket with my running. You do, but I'm not. Gonna no, be, you keep going. I'm not going to be a. I'm not going to be um, an elite athlete. No. So you need more than ticker. I guess that's what I'm asking you. So let's just tick the ticker box. Sorry, <laughs> that's a shocking pun. Anyway, let's tick the let's tick the ticker box. Yeah. What else do you need, Matt? All right. Well, the thing is, I don't think you can really make it. Well. 
Well, you can make it without it. You can, as I've said, no, you can have ticker, post. But what else? Uh, well, you've got to have skill, and they have. They had a good example on the NRL three sixty last night talking about Bob Fulton, and uh, Ray Hadley said it, but he didn't say it very well. Although he should have. You can't coach speed. Anyone with speed, yeah. like Tom Trebojevic, has got it upstairs. He's a quick thinker. He's a good athlete, but he's got speed. So when he tries to go through a small hole or run around a player, a lot of times he can, but without that speed, he couldn't do that. So he might have the ticker, which he does have. He's got, he's got heart. He's got a big heart, and he's got a good work rate, but he's got the speed and skill to go with it. So I'm not saying ticker would just get you there at all. I'm just saying for me it's – the core and most fundamental part that that I like, and I'm not saying it's even in every player, oh. but I tell you what, if it was in some of our players, like I've watched Western Suburbs, you know, or West Tigers play a few games this year, and there were players just watching players run past them and going, "Yeah, you're right." Well, there. that's your your tackle, yep. Marty. You get him. I'm over here having a rest. It's like, yeah, check, mate. You got me there. I agree with that. So yeah. that's what I mean mm. by ticker. Like, yeah. even if you couldn't catch the guy, even mm. if you couldn't tackle him, you would run after him. You would just run after him. That's my point. Because you can be both. Going back to my Iron Man example, Dave Scott, I think it'd be fair to say, was a, a, an alpha male, and he just trained the house down. He had ticker. He had an ungainly. If you ever, if you have a look on online, he's mm. got an ungainly running style. <laughs> right. Okay. He looks like he's about to die at any moment. <laughs> then the other guy, Mark Allen, is known as the grip. Now mm. let's go back to the way of the peaceful warrior, because that was all about meditation, being present when we played with Zen Buddhism and the rest of it. That's what Mark Allen did to get. He actually spent a lot of time with uh, an American Indian shaman. He's still right. working with him now. He runs. Work, workshops called Body Fit, Body Soul, right? And the the shaman guide, not the sh the shaman, the shaman's no longer around. He was 110 years old when he spoke when he was dealing with him in 1989, 1980, in the lead up to the the Iron Man. Right. Um, he runs the and Mark does the body fit side of things, and this other guy, Brent, I think his name is, does the body the body soul things. Right. So I reckon, Matt, that the thing is you need also is a bit of mind play to be to have high high performance what well, are your thoughts about that no i'd agree with that too so i like the fact that you know if you had ticker and then you have you know the elite skills to go with it like speed or you know that a football brain if you're talking about being a footballer i do think you need that uh, that would be a good third component for me you really need a mind it's almost like being on the spectrum you needed to be fixated on those things mm. and fixated really well or a better word might be you know totally focused a bit like i was saying about phil mickelson he's even improved his focus at 50 which yep. is pretty hard to do most people by 50 are going well i'm backing off a bit now and taking it easy not upping the ante but because he could then increase that a little bit more you see that in some boxes sometimes some older boxes that you know play on or keep fighting on can do that but eventually their body will let them down let's go down that path because i know one of you because you're a big fan of ali aren't you yeah w what were his high performance tricks what made him great well firstly he had well i'll go back to the second point that we've just said there he had speed he had speed and skill so if you've ever been in a boxing ring, and I have, and been beaten up a few times, <laughs> it, and it hurts, if someone's faster than you, I fought this kid once, and 
they they brought him in for a trial. He was he's going for a fight. I didn't know um, what was going on, but I was training. Yeah, I was training, and they brought this young kid in. He was about sixteen years old. I wasn't much older, and they said, "Oh, we'll put him in the ring with you and see see how you go." And this kid was like lightning. He could just land about four or five punches to my one. And actually, I didn't land many punches at all because <laughs> he just kept hitting me and I was just a punching bag for about three or four rounds. Anyway, he he batted me from pillar to post and I took a really bad hiding. It was only in a training drill, but I was just cannon fodder and practice for him because he just had speed. But to end that story, in the third round, he beat me up pretty bad and he was, you know, you've got to be mean to be a fighter. So <laughs> I got mad. I broke his nose. I only hit him once, but I evened the score about then in the third or fourth round. I broke his nose. I just got one good hit in because he'd just kill me and he was ruthless. How old were you then? Oh, I think I was early 20s. He, he was a bit younger than me, but he was a real seasoned fighter. He was a good mover. He was really quick. And to equate that to Ali, Ali was a big guy with speed and skill and knew where to put his hands and could even fight with his hands down like most fighters can't do that or you'll just get your head knocked off but he could move and he was quick and evasive so the first thing he had was speed and skill and I'll put that all in just one happy package yep. he had a very athletic he had the right physique for that sport which helps too so he had all the natural physical talents but I would say yeah, he had a good reach, but there were there were plenty of people that were stronger than him or bigger than him that he fought that he beat. But I think his second most powerful weapon and probably his most powerful was his mind. Once mm. he once he started winning a few fights, he just thought, well, I can do this and the world's not going to beat me. I'm going to beat the world. And I kind of liked that about him. I think he was the first black man that I ever saw that stood up to anyone, presidents, countries, people, and just told them where to go. Mm. And I didn't mind that because he didn't do it in a in an arrogant way. A lot of people took it that way. I thought he was just really saying, I'm the greatest, and he was. But he, he could back it up. That's the other thing. So he had a super athletic makeup and he had super confidence, which matched it perfectly. And on top of that, I think he's a pretty decent person. Like, he didn't do nasty things to people. He did kind things to people. He did nice things to people. He was fallible. He wasn't the world's best husband, father, you know, all of those things. So you can't say he was a perfect human being, but he was a kind man and he was a generous man. And when you're the heavyweight champion of the world, I think if you've got like a good heart, that tells you everything about a person. Look at Mike Tyson. He was ugly. He was <laughs> nasty. And I don't mean ugly physically. Yeah. I just mean ugly in his attitude, ugly in his approach, ugly in his trash talking, ugly in, you know, what he liked to do to people. Now, you might be a Mike Tyson fan. Well, good on you. But for me, I've, I don't see anything in that to admire at all. And when you can hurt people, there's an old rule in boxing, when you can knock someone out and you're better than someone, you don't have to. So, oh, you right. don't, so you, so you so don't have to trash talk. You don't have to – I know you have to fight people in the ring. You have to win that fight. But it's kind of like when you're that good, you're just that good. You don't need to do or say anything. You're just already that good. Now, I know Ali went on about how good he was, but that was just his makeup. That was just him. He was a showman. And I think 
I think the world loved that. I loved that about him. So tell me, um, you talked about coaching before. So I remember you coached the, what was that team we played, coached in, in um, Barrel, that under-14 uh, softball, uh, netball team you coached? Uh, the netball team, the Rockets. Rockets. Yeah. And you also coached up in Cairns a football team. Yeah, it took seven years to get from second division, a crappy second division team to first division. You, you spent seven years. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask Seven you. years it took. What did you do to build a culture, a winning culture? Oh, well, I'm a bit old school and, you know, didn't make too many friends along the way in that one. But I, I never treated people badly. If anyone did ever did the right thing at all, I'd be the first to say, well done, and that was awesome and that was good. So I'm very positive about what people do. But And I wouldn't berate players like when they would do, you know, bad things or silly things. But what I would do is be really hard technically uh, in the sense that we had a lot of Africans playing for us, a lot of African immigrants, mm -hmm. and they're super talented. But what Africans do is they don't have a structure, they don't follow routine, they don't follow directions, they play in a very flamboyant way. So what that means is they'll go off and do something because they feel like it at a certain time, and that's okay because they might score a goal or dribble around someone or give a good pass or set something up, which is awesome. But at the same time, when they do that and it comes undone, all the good work from the other 10 players to get it to you, that, that guy, comes undone. So then it kind of breaks down and it breaks down very badly. So the end of that story is it took five years to coach the African players to trap the ball put it on the ground and pass it to feet. The basics of the basics of the basics in soccer. But by the time they did that, what they had was such a high level of basic skills, it was unbelievably good, and then they had the flair on top of it. So when you talk about basics, you can't win at high levels without doing the basics, not only well, but at speed and under pressure. It took five years to trap a ball and put it on the ground and pass it to someone's feet. Five years. So do you reckon then, when you talk about nailing the basics, and there's common ground in that one, do you think it, that five years provided those players the ability to nail the basics without thinking about it? Well, that's what it did because yeah. in the beginning what they do is they do two passes. I'd pass to you on the ground. If I'm an African player, I'd pass to you. Next time, I'll just put it over your head or out there or over there and just expect it all to work. So what you have to do is you have to do routines and drills over and over again. It's very mechanical till it becomes autonomous. And that worked and how'd you go in first division? Uh, well, we didn't come last. We came second last in the first year, which was all right. And we won a couple of games. And in the, the second year, um, we started off even better than that. Uh, uh, so we got there and the team that was winning the league and w would win it every year with a really good coach whose name was Fab Sonchen. He was an awesome coach. And he had uh, Marlon Coast Rangers. They were winning it every year. 
and the CEO of Marlin Coast Rangers came over to me one day and told me a little story because we were getting beaten pretty much every week by the better teams and they had better players and more money and better everythings, but that's okay because you start off at the bottom and work your way up. We didn't come last that year. We came second last. I think we won a game or two and we drew a game of two. He said in Marlin Coast Rangers' first year, and I've got to get this right because this is about 20 years ago now, I'm pretty sure he said they didn't win a game in their first year. Wow. They d- they didn't win one game. And he more or less told me this you know, long, sad story about they made it to the Premier League, they got there, and in the first year they got smashed every single game for a year. But their time came. And what happens with every club, if you stay in any league long enough and you get the right combination of coaches, players, you know, support staff, and don't get injuries or send-offs or bad luck that year, your time will come and you'll win a premiership. So even when you're on top of that ladder, you know, the day's coming where, you know, that will decline too. Do you want to coach again? Do you want to play again? I still want to play. Can't believe it's you want funny. to play. Yeah, I do, but I want to play socially because I couldn't afford an injury because then, you know, you're too old to recover and they last much longer. There's a social league coming up in October, so I'm going to have a run there. Oh, is, is it a summer comp, is it? Yeah, it's a summer social comp, so I'm thinking of joining that. And I'd just like something social because I, I don't want to break legs. I don't want to, you know, smash other players up or get smashed up. But I do like to play and pass the ball, but you can do that without hurting people and getting hurt if you think like that. All right. Well, Matty, we've been going for almost an hour. Right. Well, there we go. <laughs> Started with NRL, ended, ended kicking a ball kicking as a usual. Ball football. Yeah. All right then. Well, awesome. We might as well stop because I won't know what to do with an hour worth of um, okay. Well, podcasting. We've had a good chat. That's good all right. Good chin wag. Covered so the you, universe. Are you going to have a go at this one day if you can find time? Because yeah, you've got I'd some stories to. still. No, I think it's awesome. It's a really great setup. It's good. Do you reckon you've got any friends around here or fam- family? Who no, I've got no to friends. It? There's no friends. Who would be prepared to do it? <laughs> well, mum does a few podcasts. She does. So she works on the radio, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, she does. And she's sort of got a setup like this at the local radio station that, and she does a podcast each week and interviews people. So she's miles ahead of me. Mm, that's good. Yeah, it's awesome. All right then. Well, who are Manly playing this week? Um, we're playing uh, the Knights, but the Knights are supposed to bring in two new players. I think Matt Lodge is coming from the Broncos and one other player. Uh, they're roping in a couple of people. I and know. I think we can beat them, but, well, after beating Parramatta, we should be able to beat them, but you never know. The Knights are a bit hot and cold too. I don't even know who I'm playing. Who, 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 who yeah, playing? who have you got this week? What's the date? 27th? Yeah. No. 27th Thursday. Yeah, so they go, uh, well, we're playing the Rabbits, 5.30 on Saturday. Right. Well, you you probably should be able to beat them because they were woeful last week against the Panthers. And it's an indigenous round and we've got the gear. Yeah. What, what top's that one? Uh, this is actually a fishing top. It's <laughs> BWS. Yeah, it's, a, it's boat and camp and fishing fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all right, okay. But uh, I don't go fishing because I'm a hopeless fisherman, but, um, you know, you've got to look the part. What, isn't that what they say? It's not what you do. It's well, how good you look while you're doing it. The yeah, there is. There's a trickle down there. You might get a tadpole if you're lucky. <laughs> But I like your shirt, mate. You've got a very mean eel on there and let's let's see if they go all the way. I think they'll be top four. And if you come good at the end of the season, well, you never know. Well, I, I hope they do. I think they've um, the left 
What side, um, Sivo, on? That side, defence. He's left. Yeah. left. Def- <laughs> He's yeah. big left side. Yeah. The left you don't want to be on that side. The left-hand you side You want to be defense. on the other side facing him. Yeah. And um, Dylan Brown coming back. Well, he would be, but I think he got suspended after that That's broken right. rib. Yeah. So he'll be back. Well, and he's a good little player. Well, one thing's for certain, going back to a half an hour ago, with all this head knock business, and the, the, it's the team that's got depth because they're going to have players out everywhere. Week. Yeah, they are. And it'll happen each week till they change techniques yeah. and just get a bit low. All right, well, let's not go down the football path again. <laughs> well, we always go back there. It's great. <laughs> Love it. All right, Matt, Talk footy all day. Okay, I'm going to... Stop the podcast now. Okay. And I'll turn off the Facebook Live as well. All right. Awesome.